A thing that looks like a police box standing in a junkyard. It can move anywhere. Maven, concentrate on sin. Give priority to the detectors and the navigation systems. There is a corridor. And the corridor is time. It surrounds all things. On display, I eventually had to go down to the cellar. That's the display department. With a torch. The lights are probably gone. So had the stairs. You are just number six. I am not a number. I am a person. Welcome to British Invaders, episode 388. This is the podcast all about British science fiction television, and this time we are continuing our discussion about Hogfather. This is Brian from Canada. And this is Eamon from England. Yes, this is what's now becoming an almost yearly look at a Terry Pratchett adaptation here we have a three-hour version of his 20th Discworld novel, Hogfather, broadcast in two 90-minute episodes on Sky One at Christmas 2006. And as ever, it's Terry Pratchett. There's some fun stuff coming, Brian. Absolutely. And you did hear that right. It was his 20th Discworld novel. He wrote quite a number of them. And the usual zany mixture of fantasy adventure with weird and wonderful characters that we expect from Terry Pratchett and from Discworld, it's all there. Indeed it is. Lots of (laughs) great stuff in this one. So continuing with a bit of the story from where we left off last time, the assassin Mr. Tea Time or Mr. Tiatime, depending how you pronounce it, his plot to eradicate the belief in Hogfather in order to assassinate the Hogfather, that plot is continuing. And Death and his assistant Albert are trying hard to fill in for the Hogfather and do his job at Hogswatch. Which, of course, allows Death's adopted granddaughter Susan some time to get to the assassin And I keep wanting to call him Mr. Tea Time, although he insists it's pronounced Tia Time. That is a running joke about how it's pronounced, that he says Tia Time and everyone else calls him Mr. Tea Time. Indeed. And we mentioned last time briefly that there are some interesting things going on in a subplot at the unseen University of Ankh-Morpork, where the wizards, basically, are all there. We should say that magic exists in the Discworld fantasy setting, but it appears, should I say, Brian, it appears quite difficult to get it right. It often has unforeseen consequences, it seems. Yes, that does seem to be how things go, that there are often magical things that do happen, but they are sometimes different from the intentions of the person doing that. The university chancellor, Mustrum Ridkali, played by Joss Ackland, is extending his living quarters and discovers a new bathroom. And in doing so, he comes across new mythical creatures, including the Veruca Gnome. This leads his colleagues to consult a new magical computing device called Hex. And the hex bit moments and business is quite fun, I think, in this show. Um, what it tells them is that there's been a general increase in the amount of available belief. Uh, and this is, is resulting in some new belief entities, such as the Veruca Gnome and the appropriately named Oh God of Hangovers, uh, which is a nice touch. 
And I should notice, or I should make a note that in the books, this sort of magical computer hex, Terry Pratchett gets to have some fun stuff about developing artificial intelligence and also to sort of reference and nod towards various famous fictional computers such as Marvin the Paranoid Android or HAL 9000 from 2001 A Space Odyssey and of course they do get some of this into the TV show and it gives the props department an opportunity to build a sort of marvellous Heath Robinson like crazy machine device for them Brian yes absolutely so that's like what we would here call a Rube Goldberg contraption. And uh, yes, it's very much like that. And of course, you know, because it's a fantasy world setting, when Hex gives its outputs, it's done with sort of like a quill pen writing on parchment, it seems. Yes, absolutely. It's a nicely absurd combination of the medieval and the modern and the fantasy. And just note that, yes, there is, across the Atlantic, there's different names for these types of machines. Here we say Heath Robinson. There you say, what was it, Rube Goldberg. That's right, yeah. Yeah. This is the third Pratchett novel adaptation that we've talked about, and there have been a number of adaptations. The Color of Magic and Good Omens are ones that we've discussed, with Good Omens now getting a sequel or a second series that is going to be coming to screen to bring bring that there. There was not a sequel to the novel originally, but the co-author of the novel, Neil Gaiman, is working on that. So that's something interesting that's coming as well. And as we record in the latter part of 2021, some photos from the second series have started to make their way onto social media, I see, Brian. They're obviously filming at the moment. Yes, absolutely. We covered the initial Good Almonds, and whether we should do a second discussion on the, the new one? Well, I guess we'll see. Indeed, yes. Now, obviously, it's a challenge to bring any sort of rich fantasy world to the screen. And I guess this series, Brian, probably needed CGI to get to a certain level or level of expertise before they could make a live action version. They'd previously, obviously, as you said, Cosgrove Hall had done animated versions uh, of some Pratchett works in the 1990s. But it's possibly a little bit like the Lord of the Rings situation. We needed the effects industry to get to a certain level before you could bring that to the screen. Yes, it's definitely something that is challenging to portray on screen. And doing it without CGI would be very ambitious. And doing it with CGI, well, I think, as you say, you need a certain level of it to be convincing. And I think they did okay with that here, but they probably did need to wait as long as they did and not do it too much earlier. Now, we should notice, or at least I noted, that the versions, or at least the adaptations of Pratchett works that we've considered so far all feature a sort of anthropomorphic personification of the concept of death, I think, as you said, Brian, this is probably the one, the show, where he's most used. And I'll also notice that, you know, uh, we've said his name once already, Neil Gaiman, Pratchett's great friend and collaborator, 
also has a personification of death in his own Sandman series, which is currently filming as well. Lots of stuff going on with these fantasy worlds. Sadly, of course, Terry Pratchett no longer with us, I'm afraid, Brian. Yes, but for Good Omens, which the two of them co-wrote, Neil Gaiman has sort of taken stewardship of that on his own now. And of course, if you've got a personification of death, it gives the opportunity for a uh, an actor with a voice of sufficient or a suitable gravitas to fill the role. We've mentioned that Christopher Lee did it in The Colour of Magic. When we watched Good Omens, we had Brian Cox as the voice of death. And here, of course, memorably, Ian Richardson really getting quite a sort of big part as the voice of death in Hogfather. Yeah, interesting choices of actors and some nice imposing voices there, which is quite quite nice. In the making of documentary, you can see Ian Richardson having great fun recording his lines with Vadim Jean, and that's sort of a nice thing to have there too. And, you know, as we said last time, generally just being lovely as well about it all. Yeah, and those those three actors have all been great choices for the for the character. Two of them now no longer with us, but hopefully with good omens too, Brian Cox hopefully will be back doing that again if the series succession that he's on can spare him for a little bit, which I imagine they'll be able to do. Yes, I guess so, although it does keep him quite busy, I should imagine. He's very much in demand. Again, another great screen presence and a great voice. Yes, absolutely. Of course, there is another uh, Terry Pratchett adaptation on Sky, which was Going Postal, and there, you know, at some point we may well get to that in the future. As ever, if you want us to cover Going Postal or the uh, sequel to Good Omens, do get in touch. Or if you've got any other suggestions about works of Terry Pratchett that we should be looking at. Yes, absolutely. I think possibly before getting to those animated versions, we might wait for slightly better distribution, either on a DVD release or better online distribution. But we'll see. That's something we can look into. We do like the shows we cover to be available to watch Lee. Yes, that definitely is something that we'd like to do. So we should get into some of our own thoughts on what we thought about Hogfather. So, Eamon, what did you like in this television production of Hogfather? So I think this is a great production, and I'm going to compliment Sky on the look, the sound, and the feel of the production. It's great to look at the sets, the world of Ankh-Morpork, Pork, the locations they use for the Unseen University, some of the digital trickery they've used in mixing a little bit of set building with a little bit of CGI for places like the Realm of the Tooth Fairy. I think it looks great. I think it sounds great. Generally, in terms of production values, I thought it all worked very well. What did you think? Yeah, I think the look and feel of this really did work well. Uh, they were getting into, you know, doing live action 
for Discworld for the first time, and that, as we said, was an ambitious thing to do. And I think they handled it well. I think they delivered something that has the right tone and the right look and feel, and it's pretty convincing. It works really well. What did you make of the cast that we have here? Because obviously we've got, apart from Ian Richardson, we've got some more great big names as well. Yeah, oh, the cast here is great, for sure. Michelle Dockery was very good. Ian Richardson was very good. I liked having David Warner show up for his sort of smaller role there. Yeah, this had some pretty strong performances. They definitely carried what they needed to. I mean, it's, you know, as you said, we've got some great people in here. I, I'm, I do like Michelle Dockery whenever she turns up. And as you say, she's almost the lead character here, the sort of main protagonist driving things along to try and um, solve the problem of the missing Hogfather while her grandfather sort of fills in the role with some comedy relief from David Jason. It's it's all great stuff. You know, the only thing I perhaps noticed was I was slightly bothered by Mark Warren's choice of voice for Mr. Tear Timey. He does say in the making of documentary that he was inspired by Johnny Depp's version of Willy Wonka in the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, that film that had come out a year earlier. And looking at it now or listening to it now, it does seem a rather obvious riff on that Johnny Depp performance which is perhaps slightly I don't know didn't quite work for me that bit what about you yeah that was all right it was a slightly strange choice as you as you say it didn't particularly bother me but I don't think it was you know the best uh, choice for that you know it was all right What I did notice was that the character of Albert seemed to be sort of an odd fit into this. And I think this was because they were maybe missing some of the things about him from the from the books but you had david jason there and gave him a character that didn't have all that much to do and was sort of mostly there for comic relief and didn't it wasn't a a very interesting comic character for me so it would have been nicer to have something a little more interesting there for the Albert character and for David Jason. Maybe he's better used as the wizard Rincewind in uh, Colour of Magic then. Yes, I think he is. Yeah. I mean, of course, he's a great Terry Pratchett fan as well himself. And it's nice to see some of the other Pratchett fans like Tony Robinson, like Nigel Plain are turning up. And even, of course, Terry himself playing one of the um, toy shop owners. Uh, I liked all that. Nigel Plain are playing another slightly sort of failed or uh, unsuccessful wizard who becomes part of Mr. Teatimey's uh, band of uh, nerdwells. Yes, that's right. Does it capture the sort of wacky weirdness of Terry Pratchett? I mean, we know you can read the Discworld novels just for the fun fantasy world comedy setting, or you can read them as a sort of Pratchett commenting on our own world, our own oddities of behaviour and society and so on, and, you know, this allegory for Christmas and Father Christmas. Do you find it captures some of that zaniness in this production? I think it does. I think they got better at it than later adaptations, certainly in The Color of Magic. But I think it's all there. I think it it works. It has the sense of his strange world is all there. And 
the allegory, well, that's certainly there too. Okay. Anything else that stood out for you as sort of great or good about this particular production? I don't think so. I was generally pleased with it. You know, I I enjoyed it. It's something that I could see coming back to to look at it again. I think I would come back to The Color of Magic first, but this is definitely a nice one too. Okay. What about some of the sort of negatives then? I mean, the, the convoluted plot that involves levels of belief and somehow using the Tooth Fairy's realm and the Tooth Fairy's teeth or collected teeth to somehow affect children. Does that come across? Was that, you know, readily understandable or explainable? I think so. I think that worked okay. The bigger negative thing for me was mostly around Albert and about how much they did or didn't give David Jason to do. Oh, right. So, I mean, you'd like a sort of bigger role for the comic talents of David Jason. Or at least something more interesting in that part of it. I found that character was not a great part of things in this in this adaptation i would have preferred something else right okay i mean it's interesting because for me it was the mark warren part that stuck out for the wrong reasons uh, mainly because of his choice of voice i was all i was all right with david jason as the comedy elf uh, sidekick although i think as you say he's perhaps better in color of magic okay interesting did you have any other negatives about this show no i really didn't that all in all i really did enjoy this and it's a good fun seasonal show in a way you know with this mythical festival of hogs watch which is clearly based on christmas yeah and the hog father clearly being santa claus or father christmas and i don't think we're giving too much away if we say that they do save hogs watch so and the hog father yes of course so i guess it's time for recommendations who would like to go first i can go first i will say that i enjoyed this and i will recommend it it's a fun show. It's uh, ambitious and well put together with some good performances. So, yeah, I would say definitely give this one a watch. Uh, it's the same for me. I had a great time with Hogfather. I'm really enjoying these Terry Pratchett adaptations that we're looking at. I mean, there's one or two problems with it, but I think it's cheap and easy to get hold of. If you've already got the Now T subscription, in order to watch Brian Cox in succession, then you can see The Hogfather this uh, festive period, which is, I suppose, we're on the other side of it now. But anyway, if you're looking for something to watch on the uh, fictional December the 32nd Festival of Hogwatch, then uh, The Hogfather is great, and I recommend it as well. Very good. So, in summary, Hogfather brings us to, for the first time in live action, the Discworld universe from the author Terry Pratchett and we find ourselves in the city of Ankh-Morpork approaching the winter festival of Hogwatch where the Hogfather who should be delivering gifts is not around has somehow disappeared and death has to take his place and deliver gifts instead because there is this convoluted assassination plot going on against the Hogfather that involves robbing children of their beliefs in the Hogfather, which will make him disappear, make him no longer exist. And while 
Death is filling his shoes for a little while. Death's granddaughter, Susan, has to step up to ensure that the assassination does not happen and Hogswatch can be saved. Great stuff. Do let us know what you think about this production by coming by Facebook or Twitter and dropping us a line. Absolutely. And please come back next time. We are falling down a rabbit hole. We're going to look at another star study production and a very interesting film or TV film of Alice in Wonderland directed by Jonathan Miller for the BBC in 1966 and um, I think it's going to be an interesting one for us uh, next time Brian this is a strange production in a way yes it's definitely an interesting production and it will be an interesting one to talk about also the first time we'll be doing a discussion about Alice in Wonderland which it's taken us a while to get to one so it'll be good to do that great stuff until then you can find all of our 380 plus episodes at britishinvaders.com and our various Terry Pratchett discussions are included in that And if you search for British Invaders on Facebook, you can find our group there and join in on our discussions. And we are also on Twitter. So if you look at at Brit Invaders pod on Twitter, you can find us there. Yes, please do come along and join in the fun. And also look out for the Voice of Geeks Network, which you will find at vognetwork.com. The Voice of Geeks, uh, lots of geek-related content on the internet there absolutely so thank you for listening and this is brian from canada signing off yes thank you very much for being with us and until next time it's Eamon in england saying i hope you had a very happy hogs watch <laughs>